We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I'm going to set up the, the final stage, Sean, and that is if we believe that the dynasty is coming to a close for Alabama, whether it's this year, next year, soon, then what programs do we think are in a position where they either are now or are trending to be the potential replacements? And so when I think about college football and I think about you know, the, the dynasties and the, and the programs that are considered the best programs. I, I've always felt that there's always like four to five more often than not. Like programs that are in that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, you go back to the eighties and yes, Miami was that team mid to late eighties, but Miami didn't win it every year. Right. You know, Penn state got them one year, but you know, Oklahoma only had one title during that stretch, but Oklahoma every year was like a contender for that. You know, they won it in 85 with Jamel Holloway, and then other years they lost to Miami in a, in a game, and then they had some losses to some other. But they were in it, consistently in it. You know, Penn State won two titles in the 80s, right, including a win over Miami. Uh, Notre Dame became that team in the late 80s, early 90s. Florida State was that team in the 90s. You know, it was Notre Dame and Miami – to start the 90s, then Florida State kind of emerges mid to late 90s, along with who else? Nebraska and Florida, right? There was always like multiple teams. You know, Nebraska won three titles in the 90, 90s. Florida won a title, lost another title game. You know, they were contenders for that. Florida State won won two titles in the 90s, 93, 99. You know, there were always multiple teams in that. You know, in the 70s, you had Notre Dame was a dominant program, you know, for, for most of the 70s. Uh, USC was a dominant program in the 70s. You know, Alabama won multiple titles in the 70s, right? There was all, There's always been like three or four like great teams. Nebraska won a couple titles in the early, early, yeah. early 70s. So, you know, it's the, the whole Bama and then everybody else thing, and then eventually Clemson kind of comes on for the latter half of this decade, and they kind of become number two along with Bama for a shorter period of time. And then now they're kind of already fading back again, where Bama's still kind of in a strong place. The whole Bama and then everybody else is kind of unique. It's kind of new. It, it hasn't been the trend we've seen, and I don't think it's going to become 
a permanent trend. I think that we're going to see it kind of go back to the way it used to be, which is there's like four or five teams throughout a decade to kind of step into that spotlight, mm-hmm. not maybe every year, but for the most part, there's going to be four or five teams that, that you look at and say, boy, this team has a legitimate chance. You know, Colorado went through that. There was a small – Colorado was like Clemson for a, a hot minute, you know, mm-hmm. where they were like a dominant team for like a four- to five-year window, and then they faded. Right. You know, so and we'll see if Clemson can, 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 can prolong it and get back on track or not. We'll find out. But, I mean, right now all we can look at is from 15 to 20 – Clemson was a powerhouse. 21, they started to fall off. Do they get back on track or do they continue to trend down? We'll find out. So let's kind of look at the programs, Sean, that you and I think have an opportunity to be that. And then, of course, we'll talk about Notre Dame at the end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And, and that'll be where we kind of end the conversation. So let's first begin, Sean, with the league that Alabama is in. And that is the SEC, because here's the reality of it. Until Bama, somebody, the SEC is always going to have a dominant program. And until somebody can jump Bama, it's going to be Bama. Right. Even if Bama isn't what they've been, somebody's got to jump them. I think the obvious, the obvious one is Georgia. Yeah. I mean, that's the obvious one. They just want a title. But what we're talking about isn't a team that can creep up and win a title every now and then. Auburn did that and then went three and nine, like two years later, right? right? LSU did that. And then their coach got fired two years later. We're not talking right. about that, that everything went right. That one year, you got the generational quarterback that one year we're talking about established programs that are considered, you know, dynasty type of programs, you know, f- dynasty, meaning, you know, you're great for a period of time. Yeah. You either win multiple titles or you're playing for multiple titles and you've got to at least, you can't be a dynasty without, winning at least one right like the bills aren't a dynasty they had a great run but they weren't a dynasty because they never won the the biggest one like the broncos in the late 80s weren't a dynasty because they got to three super bowls in four years but they lost them all right like you know can can you can you be that team for a period like the broncos in the late 90s weren't a dynasty either because they had two great years and then they, they they were done Dynasty is a period of of at least five to six years where you're a championship team and then a contender most of the other years. Yeah. Georgia, 
I think has to show me something still to prove to me that they're not just a one-time team that I still say got a bit of a fluky win down year in college football. Bama had tons of injuries. They earned that win. They were the better team that day because Bama wasn't the same team, but that was the same team that pounded them into submission a month before. Yeah. Right. In the SEC title game. That wasn't Kirby's best team. No, no, no. 17 to me is still his best team. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, 100%. 100%. So can they sustain that? And here's the point, Sean. This was, this was a really good Georgia team. Yeah, This was one of the two or three best teams in the country this year. There's no doubt about it. To your point, they don't beat 2020 Bama. It's no. not even close. They don't, they don't have a chance against 2019. Do you really think Stetson Bennett is going to beat Joe Burrow in 2019? Do you think Stetson Bennett and that team, that offense is going to beat Clemson in 2018? No, they don't. No way. Clemson in 2016? No, they don't. I don't even think they beat their version of themselves in 2017, if I'm being honest with you. That's all. No. So those running backs, no. But here's what Georgia has done. They have recruited extremely well for a number of consistent years. That's step number one to being a dynasty. You can win a title with that one or two great back-to-back classes, but if you don't continue it, you're a one-and-done and you're gone, right? They've recruited extremely well. They've recruited pretty balanced classes for the most part. Mm -hmm. They've recruited extremely well in the trenches, which is important. Quarterback recruiting, to me, is the biggest question mark for them. I think they got lucky this year with Stetson Bennett. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was a down, which we said before the year. It's going to be a down year in college football. Bama had some injuries, and we've made that case. You're not going to consistently win titles with a a Stetson Bennett quarterback. No. Who is that guy going to be? Is it Brock Vandergriff? Is it going to be somebody else that they've signed, you know, in in recent years? Is it someone they're going to sign moving forward? Quarterback is the one position that if they don't get that figured out, I don't think they're going to be a dynasty. I think they're going to be a really good team, but never a team that you really think like, gee, yeah, they're going to go win it. Because they were on the verge of becoming Clemson, like before the titles, because they would have these really good teams and then like lose to four and eight South Carolina, right? And and yeah. and lose to some team. You're like, what the heck? And then get kind of pounded in some of the bigger games. I mean, LSU pounded them in 2019. You know, they 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 choke games away to Alabama, right? You know, blowing two three touchdown leads to Alabama, right? Yeah. Like they were becoming what Clemson was, a better version of what Clemson was pre Deshaun Watson, right? Right. And then they broke through this year and got it done. Do they go back to that or do they keep going? To me, it's going to come down to quarterback. They've got to figure something out of quarterback. That's to me the big question mark for George. And because to be honest with you, John, I don't think Kirby, I think Kirby Smart's a great recruiter. He has a lot of help. I think Kirby is a guy to me that is a good motivator. He's got, he hires good coaches, I think, for the most part. He, he's made good coaching hires, but he's not a great game day coach. He's not. No, no. And, and I have a and, question. Yeah, I think they just either increased Munkin's Munkin's Munkin Munkin's salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he's going to be there a little bit longer. I'm not sure. I, I like, like him. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. Yeah. Just needs a quarterback. He needs a quarterback. And this is the thing. As far as guys from. And Justin Fields were both his guys, right? Yep. Was Jacob Eason his guy? 
no, no. The from replaced because of injury. Right. right. I think Jacob Eason. I could be wrong on this, but I think Jacob Eason was there. Was Kirby's first class, but he committed to Georgia way before Kirby before. took over. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Kirby smarted. Kirby smarted. Kirby start. I'm having trouble speaking the English language today. Kirby Smart started in 2016, correct? Yeah. That was his first year. Yeah. Jacob Eason was part of the 2016 class. Okay. But I'm looking it up now. I believe he committed really early. Uh, he committed uh, in 2014. So he commit. So tech. He was a lot like Phil Dracovic. Right. Phil Dracovic was not Chip Long's guy, even though he only ever played for Chip Long because he committed before Chip was hired. Right. It, similar situation. Right. Similar so, situation. I look to me. Kirby recruits like Nick Saban used to, mm-hmm. meaning he would much rather be stout up front on both sides of the ball, be able to run the ball, be able to stop the run, really great defense, and just have a quarterback that just won't make mistakes and just beat you that way. But he has really good players, really good players. Wide receiver is another position that he probably could recruit a little bit better because they're able to get that one guy that can dominate. But, like, as far as depth in the wide receiver room, I can't say that I've seen that at Georgia from a depth standpoint. I think they lost – like, Burton had a touchdown in the championship game, and he transferred out. Right. You know, probably looking at his ability to get to the next level. Right. You know, playing with their quarterback – you know what? Let me go to Alabama. Right. Play with a guy I know. If if he thought Stetson Bennett was a dude, he's not leaving Georgia. He's a Absolutely. freaking starter. He's Absolutely. not leaving Georgia to go to Alabama. Right. Exactly right. So now they had a kid like Justin Fields. So mm-hmm. they can recruit elite quarterbacks, but now it goes to beg the question. Develop. Can they develop? Right. Brock so Vandegrift in the 2020 class was a top 50 kid. Yeah. Right. Uh, Gunnar yeah. Stockton was a some people had as a top hundred kid last year, and yeah. It, but and, and the the offense and the way it's been, Sean, is going to make it harder to recruit elite quarterbacks moving forward. That's why he needs to make the change, like his mentor, and say, "Hey, let's right. change some things up. Maybe right. bring in because you like Munkin, but right. Munkin can build around what Kirby wants. Munkin is being, in my opinion, held back." By you know what? That's that's that could be because remember, Todd Munkin was the offensive coordinator in 2011 for that Oklahoma State team that scored 50 points a game, right? I mean, that and and I've said this, I mean, to me, he should that team should have played for the championship in 2011, they they should have played LSU for the title. Alabama had no business being in that title game, and I think Oklahoma State would have won the title that year. I mean, that was that brand Whedon, uh, Justin Blackman team. That was right. explosive. I mean, that's what, and that's why NFL teams. That's why he went for the NFL. Like, and we saw right. that a perfect example. He was being held back in a championship game, and all of a sudden they go down in the fourth quarter, and they have no choice but to open it up. Right. Anyway, and, and all of a sudden they're throwing deep ball. <laughs> Dude, look what happened after they fell behind Alabama. Right. They open it up, and all of a sudden the offense starts moving. Exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. So. You're probably spot on. Kirby's probably holding him back, and he yeah. has to get to that point, the same as Nick Saban did, where Nick said, you know what? I can bring these offensive minds that are going to say no to me. 
Right. I can bring a Lane Kiffin on. I can bring a Steve Sarkeesian on. I can bring guys that want to open up and take more risk than I'm usually right. used to allowing my offensive coordinators to do. And so it's going to take him getting whooped a couple times, though, to do that. That's my because, like, to me, it's like almost it's almost like for long. Hear this the right way. I'm not saying that winning the title last year was a bad thing. It was a phenomenal thing. You, you yeah. haven't won a championship since Herschel Walker was playing. And that was like 40 <laughs> years ago. I was yeah. two years old the last time they won a national yeah. championship, right? It was a great thing. But in regards to accomplishing what you just said, Sean, and you actually stated is as far as opening, it's going to require them to be – I don't think they've got to be a 45 – they don't have to be LSU 2019. But they no. got to be a little bit more explosive than they've been. Yeah, They can still be a pro-style team. But to get there, it's almost like – Winning it not that way sort of doubles down on the thought that, well, we can keep doing it this way. Right. And so, like, long term, it may, you know, it, it may take them to get smacked around a couple times uh, to realize, like, okay, yeah, we can't. We, we may have done it once because everything went our way. Yeah. But, you know, I, you people say, like, if you know that Alabama wins that game, if those guys don't get hurt, you, you think Kirby's smart. No, you don't because a lot of times – you when you're on the inside of something, you don't have the same perspective as someone who's an outs. I mean, just that's a, you have way more perspective on a lot of things. But in regards to how you stack up big picture when you're having the success you're having and then you win a title, yeah. well, you're clearly wrong. Well, OK, I can't prove it to you that I, you would have lost if those guys didn't get hurt. I can't prove it to you. The best thing I can do is say, look what happened in the title in the conference title game. Got your freaking butts kicked. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you were you couldn't cover Jamison Williams the first quarter half of that game. No. I mean, not at all. You know, I mean, so so you know, let's not act like, you know, you were out there, you know, whooping them from from jump. So it's going to require in my opinion for Georgia to remain a to be part, to be a to to replace Bama. Right? That's the goal, right? Is yeah. to replace Bama. To me, it's going to require him to 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 open things up a little bit and to be able to, to, to land and develop a top quarterback, that's going to be the key. And, and so outside of that, yeah, Jamison Williams had four catches for 65 yards in a, basically a quarter and a half of football. Yeah. That's it. I mean, come on now. And he had seven catches for 184 yards in the, in the, in in two touchdowns in the conference championship game against Georgia. He was on pace for a similar performance. Uh, So, Georgia's there. I, I I am very curious to see what happens with Billy Napier at Florida. And Ryan brought up a team yesterday that could potentially have a say in this whole thing. And, and the point is, it's not that these teams are necessarily going to be the next dynasties, but could they be good enough to keep Georgia from being that next dynasty? And that is Florida with Billy Napier and Tennessee with Josh Heupel and what they're doing. And so uh, that is going to be that to me is going to be a very very interesting aspect to this whole thing. Sean is Tennessee is my sleeper on my list. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee is my sleeper on my list because they're doing really man. You can't overlook the job they're doing in recruiting. Yeah, they, ha- they have their quarterback, and they're he did a phenomenal job developing Hendon Hooker last year. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to seeing Hooker and how he further develops how he looks. They have the quarterback of the future. They got a chance to land a couple of five-star wide receivers, some really good wide receivers in the 23 class. And then in the state of Tennessee in 2024 and 25, there's some really good talent. 
I mean, there are some kids, you know, you just go look at Caleb Beasley. And, oh, yeah. You know, his his friend at uh, linebacker, they both are in the 24 class. Edwin Spillman, right? Edwin that Spillman. That yeah. And Notre Dame's in on both of those kids. Both of those kids can end up at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like the state has a lot of talent. And as we talked about yesterday, Sean, is they're a state away from Ohio. Yeah. They're a state away from Indiana. Mm-hmm. They border on the state of Virginia. Yep. I mean, they're kind of right in that unique centralized area where they can go north and south yeah. and get players and still yeah. be considered a local school. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people that can do that. Really, yeah. I mean, they're it. They're the only one that can really do that. Yeah. So, yes, I, I agree. Tennessee is a, is a, and Florida emerging are very interesting. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Number one is their emergence is something that that hurts Georgia. The other way of looking at it is their emergence forces Georgia to open things up, and then mm-hmm. that makes Georgia the dominant team. Yes, correct. Either yes. Kirby's going to be stubborn and they're going to be really good, but they're just it's it, it'll look a lot like the SEC East did back when Philip Fulmer and Steve Spur were battling it out. Yeah, and and Georgia had some good teams back then, but it was like they kind of beat each other up a little bit. You yeah. know, Tennessee would knock off Florida some years. Florida would knock off Tennessee some other years. I mean. Big reason why Peyton Manning never won a national championship is because of Florida, Steve Spurrier in Florida, right? Right. And so, and then there was other years where Florida had a chance to compete for a title, but they couldn't because they got beat by Tennessee. And you know, the T. Martin year obviously is one was one example of that. So, you know, I I I think that that the East here's here's an I will not be surprised if in three to four years the best division in the SEC is the East. Because I'm going to say this. I think the SEC West is vastly overrated. I think LSU stinks. I think Ole Miss is limited. I think Mississippi State is limited. I think Arkansas is limited. I don't think Auburn has a great coach. I think they have a very mediocre coach. And I think that A&M is a team that will never be a legitimate title contender with Jimbo Fisher as their head coach. He's just not that guy, in my opinion. Because he can't do at at, at AM what he did at Florida State, which is just out talent 12 opponents until you get to the title game. Right. Fall right. behind Auburn 17 nothing, but you're still so much more talented than them that you can just kind of overcome it. Yeah. And you're fresh because you've basically, you know, steamrolled a crap conference your whole year, which is exactly what happened in 2013 when right. he won it at, at Florida State. You know, he he is more the guy that that they slept walk through 2014 and they got their brains beat in by Oregon. That that's that's Jimbo to me. And when they got to the college football playoff, yeah, uh, that's Jimbo to me. That was in a Rose Bowl, right? Right, yeah. correct, correct. And and he's just not that guy. Yeah. So I look, and that's to me what's prolonging Bama's dominance has been the fact that the SEC West is vastly overrated. We hear, oh, it's the best conference. No, no. it's not. It, it, it's it's a, it's an overrated conference. You, you know, it's like last year. Oh, A and M preseason top ten team. Yeah, eight and four. Okay, Coco. Good, good job there, guys. You know, eight four football team, and and it just is not a team that I look at and say that's just a that's not a great. That's yeah, not I would venture to say the trio, and you might not. You know, look, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. That three, and you look at the production, and I know you really don't love what's been done at Penn State. 
Well, the last couple of years, three years ago, the converse I would have had to because three years ago, Penn because Michigan was coming along like coming 15 along. and 16 yeah. to 18. Yeah. And then you had Penn State was in the cotton bowl a few years ago. My issue with Penn State is the last two years they have caught fallen off of a cliff. They've gone they 11 really 11. Right. But he had, right. He had three out of four point. years. They were a plan yeah. 10 plus win team. Yeah. So could the could the Big Ten East get there? Yes. Well, now Harbaugh's got to Michigan State again, right? If yeah. if Mel Tucker can keep doing what he's doing, mm-hmm. if Penn State can kind of show that the last two years was just a weird, you know, like it was like if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt against Iowa this year, I think they beat Iowa, they beat and, Iowa. Then maybe, yeah. and then maybe who knows what that does to the rest of the year, right? right? I mean, it's right. It, and then the COVID year before that. I'm not a big James Franklin fan, but the thing I loved about what he did in 2015, 2020 was he did a terrible job getting his team ready to start that year, but they could have easily folded like Michigan did, but they didn't. They won like their last four games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I give him credit for that. Right. Yeah. But he's got to recruit better at certain positions, quarterback being one. Well, they just went out and got a quarterback that I'm a big fan of and Drew mm-hmm. Aller. Now yeah. you got to develop them. Right? right. You've got to show me that you can get more out of the talent. Cause the one thing about Penn state, Sean is they have talent. The the biggest issue for me with, with with James Franklin is number one, he's an even worse game day coach than Kirby Smart. So fact. Yeah. The other problem is he has not like Kirby. The the part of Kirby that I don't like is game day. The part of Kirby I like is he's really good at hiring good coaching staffs. You got to give Kirby credit. He knows how to put together a good coaching staff. Yeah. He. James Franklin has not been able to do that. He had like that one great hire with Joe Moorhead, but yes. some of his other decisions with offensive coordinators very have been very shaky. Very questionable. Very shaky. And that's a big question mark for me. Now, I I, I think he made some good hires this offseason. We'll, you know, we'll see. He got yeah. the guy from Texas. We'll see what, you know, what he can do there. Um, we'll see what they can do on defense. But yeah. Penn State's the key to what you're saying. Penn State's the key to making that happen. Then, of course, Michigan's got Michigan's to show – that 19 and 20 were flukes that he's back to being the guy he was from like 15 to, to 18. Yeah. Right. And then Mel Tucker's got to say, Hey, look, we may not be a 10 win team again this year, but we're, we're surging. We're getting back. We're going to make it hard. That's one thing I've said historically, if you go back and watch their games against Ohio state, since James Franklin has been there, he's given Ohio state, the most trouble since he consistently, State, yeah, consistently, consistently, even, even his bad teams. Tough game. Yeah, they gave him a good game in 2020. Yeah, that was competitive for a while. Yeah, because he, he's a great motivator. His team, I have never seen, uh, rarely seen. There was one game in 2020, I think it was against Maryland, where they just it was so they didn't want to be there. I mean, that team was just so unprepared to be there, but again. That wasn't an anomaly season because of COVID and everything else. And and they went out and, and got blasted by Maryland, lost to Nebraska, got blown out by Iowa. Yeah. And I'm like, they quit. Yeah. But then they went out the next week and beat Michigan at Michigan. Then they went out and beat Rutgers. Then they beat Michigan State convincingly. Then they beat Illinois convincingly. Like, you know what? He was able to rally the troops, whereas Michigan, when the, things went south for Michigan, Michigan just folded. Yeah. And then, you know, basically, I still believe they ducked out of the Ohio State game. I, I think they ducked out of the Ohio State game, in my right. opinion. But, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they do, Sean, because he can get that – his teams – the point I was making is his teams don't often show up unprepared to play. They've had some ugly bowl games, but I don't care about bowl games. 
you know, um, I just look at it and say, like even Michigan State last year, they lost by three points to Michigan State. They lost by nine points at Ohio State. You know, they, they've got these really ugly losses, four points to Michigan in the close game. Right. You know, and then they got this ugly it's loss ugly, to Illinois in overtime last year, just yeah. for no reason. Just... I mean, if you beat Illinois, which if you, you lost at home to Illinois, <laughs> and if and if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt against Iowa, all Iowa. of a sudden Penn State's seven and zero. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. now they finished the year nine and you know nine and four or whatever, and and now we're having a different conversation about Penn State than yeah. we than we did. So yeah, I, I I think the Big Ten the Big Ten East has a chance to become the dominant conference, and the other team the other conference has a chance to become that is the SEC East. Yeah, because Georgia was able to beat Bama last year. Florida, I think, will be better. And they weren't. It's not like they were terrible for a long time. They were in the SEC title game two the two of the last three years, last right? Three years, yep. And and then you look at Tennessee's assert, uh, emerging, and one of the most underrated and not discussed enough coaches in all of college football is Mark Stoops. Mm. That dude has two 10-win seasons at Kentucky in the last five years. Yes. He is doing a good job. And, again, another guy that has shown that he can hire good coaches. Mm -hmm. He makes good hires. And so Missouri, we'll see what they can do, but that's a program that should be better. If they hire the right coach, they can quickly ascend. Yeah. But you've got the three that we talked about, the big boys, and then Kentucky. Yeah. That has a chance to become – a really, really, really strong division. If Hypo can build on the success he's had, and if and if and if Billy Napier can be that guy at Florida, those are uh, those are those are undetermined. We're not saying they're there now. Yeah. But if those guys are what we think they are, and and Kentucky can keep Mark Stoops there yeah. for a while, the East has a chance to supplant the West, in my opinion. Because I, I look at the West and I'm like, other than Alabama, none of those. T- I don't have respect for any of those programs. Yeah. They're overrated every year. You're talking about coaching bloodlines with Hypo. And Mark Stoops, which goes back to Bob Stoops and Hypo being a part, literally on the field, being a part of the resurgence of Oklahoma football mm-hmm. and knowing how to establish that and recruit and win. He did it in Central Florida. You can tell he can develop quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. That, that right there and how it bodes well for future recruiting at that position for him, gives him an upper hand on Kirby Smart and Stoops, who are defensive guys. Mm-hmm. Like when you're the head guy and you can show, hey, look, you come here, I'm going to develop you. Mm-hmm. Look, you'll get better. I've done it everywhere. All right? Look at the kids I developed in Central Florida. Look at the kid I just developed Hooker on last year and how much better mm-hmm. he is. Now look at Nico. <laughs> now he's going to be. Right. I think if I were to choose between those three teams, I might lean Josh Heupel and Tennessee right now. Three teams is in Florida, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Kentucky and Tennessee. Yeah. 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 Well, they have more built-in advantages than Kentucky. Oh, and, and, and Kentucky absolutely. is good because of the job Mark Stoops is doing. But like yeah. Kentucky's come. I don't disagree with you. You just said I'm adding on to the whole SEC. You think State Stoops stays at Kentucky? I mean, he he. I I think there's some things in his background that are making it difficult for teams to justify hiring him. Yeah, I, I've heard there's some stuff from Florida State and some other times that that it's like why teams weren't looking at him because he's yeah. not like, hardly getting even sniffed. Uh, so I think that may be by default. I don't you know, I don't know how true that is, but I mean, he's uh-huh. turned down. I mean, we haven't heard his name mentioned anywhere. I mean, even the when the Florida State. I mean, 
Florida State hired Willie Taggart and, and Mike Norvell over Mark Stoops. Yeah. So clearly there's something there. Uh, and that's Tennessee's benefit. But Tennessee's coming off a, a recruiting class that, according to rivals last year, was ranked the 13th best class in the country. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, like they're, they're doing they're, – he, he's bringing in talent. That's the thing. Is he, he's producing first-round draft picks. So you had the Josh Allen kid a couple of years ago. You had the linebacker last year for the for the uh, Washington team. Like he is bringing in, he is put, and he's putting guys in the NFL. Like uh, the Robinson kid that transferred from Nebraska was like what a second or third round pick this year. Yeah, people are projecting Will Levis as the first round pick, which I think is absurd. I think it speaks volumes to the job that they did last year. That people actually think that that football team, you know, or that quarterback is a first round pick. That says a lot about the job that that he's doing because he was a kid that, that I mean, Penn State didn't allow him to throw the football. Yeah, I mean, you know, they didn't even allow him to throw. He just going to run. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like, you know, Missouri had the number fifteen recruiting class in the country last year, according to 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 um, to twenty four seven sports. So I think the East is ascending, and I think the West is where the hype is. Yeah. But I don't think the better the the, the ascending programs are not in the West, in my opinion. They're in. The we could East. be waiting to replace Ferentz. Maybe. At the place. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And although Ferentz wants his kid to to be that guy. So yeah, let's see true. how that goes. Yeah. So Big Ten, Sean. I think Ohio State is there. I think they are. They are a team that has a chance to be that dynasty team. I don't think they are one right now. It's been seven years since they won a title, mm-hmm. uh, but they're close. I think they're close because I mean they played in the title game two years ago, got blown yeah. out. They've been in the playoffs, college football playoff, and what they made it fourteen. They made it in sixteen. They made it in nineteen, and they made it in twenty. Right. So they've yeah. made four playoff appearances in, in the last several years. So I think that that is that is something obviously to consider. I think you can make a case that they're a dynasty right now because of or they're, they're they should be part considered that program now because of what they've done. I guess my question is more about moving forward. Yeah. You know, do you think Ryan Day continues the trend of what they've done, or do you think he's still sort of feasting off of the the program that that Urban Meyer built. I think that's the big question with Ryan Day that we're gonna ha- we're gonna find out the next couple of years. I mean, that, you know we're gonna find I'm that out. In, I'm interested in because I saw someone in the chat say that they're not buying the Mel Tucker hype, and I'm just interesting to see. I'm interested in seeing the same way we've seen teams chip away at the depth of Alabama recruiting wise. Mm-hmm. Ohio State just has so much of a talent. It's huge. At every week in the Big Ten, I'm just interested in seeing which teams can kind of chip away at that. Yeah, if they can, and try to establish like, okay, we're going to be here. I think Mark D'Antoni, from just from coaching staff and game planning and everything, definitely went into his matchups with Ohio State mm-hmm. toughness and like they had advantages that mm-hmm. kind of countered the talent gap. So can you decrease the talent gap? You're talking about Penn then, State? You're talking about Penn State? I'm talking about like what Michigan State was able to do. Against oh, Michigan State, yeah. 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 And I would say Penn State's Penn State's and a different Penn example. State's I, say, I think Penn State thing. actually is the closest to Ohio State in talent. Yeah. They're yeah. just not coached as well. And right? it's not yeah. like Penn State in these games haven't had um, 
offensive players and offensive Penn State's the one team in the Big Ten that can say we're the closest to Ohio State talent. I mean, yes. you go look at the NFL draft, and they've produced yeah. high draft picks, combines, Absolutely. you know. They've Absolutely. had stars, Saquon, Micah Parsons. I mean, they've had dudes. They've had better talent than anybody else in the Big Ten not named Ohio State. Yeah. Michigan State never had, the to me, the top-end talent during the D'Antonio run that Penn State has had the last few years. That's why I thought the Iowa secondary was so overrated because if you go watch that Iowa-Penn State game, Penn State's wide receivers were running wide open yeah. all day. Yeah. They just didn't have anybody to get the ball right. to them. So, yep. you know, like yep. I said, Penn State, Michigan, I don't know, man. They've kind of leveled off from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. And the way Harbaugh handled this offseason killed their any momentum they had Yes, from the standpoint of yes. – Yes. Yeah. And the fact that he was telling kids, yeah, I want to go to the NFL and all. Yeah. I mean, he he ruined any momentum they, they had rolling yeah. from the I mean, they are getting crushed on the recruiting trail and they were a playoff team last year. That That's yeah. inexcusable. That's inexcusable. inexcusable. Yeah. I, I will say this. I'm actually sympathetic to what Detroit Hunter is saying about Tucker. I still think Mel Tucker has a lot to prove to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy's been a coach for what, four years? And he's had one one winning record, you know, one season, you know, one one winning season. Now, I think part of that is because he was never anywhere long enough to where he could build that. He's been a head coach for for three years and he's gone five and seven, two and five and eleven and two. He's got to show that he can build that. But the thing that I found unique about Michigan State last year, Sean, is Antonio's staff did a great job of doing two things. Number one they cleaned up in the state of Michigan during a time when Michigan was down Yes, and they dominated Michigan and state. The other thing is, and this is why I think Mark D'Antonio was a better football coach than Jim Harbaugh. He just doesn't have the resources that Michigan has. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Michigan state is they were willing to go into the state of Ohio and battle Ohio state. Yeah, They lost the majority of their battles and they won a couple, but what they would then do is, they would battle for those kids, but then while they're doing that, sneakily kind of go find this this kid in Ohio that nobody's ever heard of, and then get him, and then all of a sudden the kid turns out to be a good football player. Yes. What Mark Dan, what Mel Tucker has done is taken advantage of the fact that he's been a bit of a world traveler as a, as a coach. Most of the guys who've been assistants for a long time have been everywhere for the most right. part. You know, Mel's coached out west. He was at Colorado before getting the Michigan State game, you know, job and things like that. He's he's kind of been all over the place as a coach. He's coached at the Bears. He's coached Alabama, the Jaguars, the Browns, LSU, you know, Ohio State. He's kind of coached all over. You look at Michigan State's recruiting class last year, which finished 23rd according to rivals, which is a decent for Michigan State. But they went all over the place to get kids. They signed a four-star running back from Nevada. They signed a four-star quarterback that I like a lot, Caton Hauser from St. John Bosco in California, mm-hmm. who, who I like. You know, obviously they got plenty of, of Michigan kids. They got a kid, Jerron Glover, who I like from Florida. They got a they got Jack Nickel from a tight end from Georgia. They got another tight end from Arizona. They got an offensive lineman in a, from Georgia and Alabama. They got an offensive lineman from Colorado. They went up to Minnesota. They went got a DN from Georgia. They got another DB from Florida. They got two. I mean, they they got like six kids from Georgia last year. Now, again, these are not kids that they beat Georgia for. Right. But there's there in a state like that, there's gonna be these three-star kids that that those big schools don't want that you turn into a good player. Right. Um, so I think those are the keys to me that when you look at this program, if they can do that, 
then they have a shot to be a contender, which then, but, but again, I don't view them as a team that's going to be a dynasty. I want to get back on track to the dynasty yeah. aspect of it a little bit. So big 10, I think Ohio state right now is the only team that has a chance to be that. The question is, is as the big 10 gets better, can they maintain that or do they fall back to earth a little bit? I think that's a, that's a very intriguing question for me. When I look at the big 10, I think Michigan is the only Michigan and Penn state are the other two teams in that division or in that league that have a chance to eventually become dynasty type programs. But unlike Ohio state, they, they need more of a, they've got to hire the right coach kind of situation. They don't have the same inherent because here's the reality of it. This used to not be the case when Joe Paterno was really rolling, Penn state could match Ohio and anyone else for talent. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. Ohio still is still producing a ton of big time players, and Pennsylvania's not. And and that's and, and Michigan recruits a ton of uh, doesn't recruit a ton. They recruit really good players, but not the depth that Ohio does. Ohio yeah. is still a a better foot, a significantly better foot. It's better by far the best northern football state. Yeah, it's significantly better than Pennsylvania. It's it's much deeper than like you could take the top five kids from Michigan most years and stack them up against the top five kids from Ohio most years. Not all, most. But then there's a huge drop off after that. Yeah, and and so I think there's there's built in advantages that Ohio State has that those other programs don't. You can have a John Cooper who can have a lot of success at Ohio State, but a similar John Cooper at Michigan does not have the same level level of success because it's harder there yeah. than it is Ohio State. Ohio State is the is is a program where you got to really be a bad coach to not win there. Right. The question is, though, can you be a championship coach? And I still think Ryan Day has a lot to prove in that regard. Now, I think the moves he made this offseason show me that he's not Lincoln Riley. Right. I agree he, with that. The change he made on defense. I think he understands we got to run the ball and we got to play yep. better defense. Yep. But wanting to do that and then getting that from your team are two completely different things. He's got to show me it. that. Yeah. He's got to show me that. Penn State, I'd say right now, is probably the next best shot the Big Ten has because. All my issues with James Franklin, number one, Penn State is a better coaching hire away from that, or two, James Franklin figuring it out. From Because the biggest, the biggest, if James Franklin simply just makes better hires, I think Penn State's in a better position. Agreed. In my opinion. Because they are so much closer to the bigger states, the states that produce big-time athletes, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Jersey, than Michigan is. And, and, you know, I think, and I think that James Franklin's a better recruiter than Jim Harbaugh. So that is, that is going to be my, that's my area. And to me, Jim Harbaugh and how he handled this off season has pretty much, it's going to, I just don't see them getting to that next level with him as the coach, but Michigan is a lot like Notre Dame in that they are the right higher away from quickly getting back on track. That's the one thing I'll say about Michigan. Take my anti-Michigan bias aside, Sean. If Harbaugh is to leave, let's just say Harbaugh, let's say Michigan goes 10-3 this year and some NFL yeah. team hires Jim Harbaugh, or he decides to retire. Yeah, They are, if you hire the right guy away, their version of Marcus Freeman, over the case, from yeah. being uh, having a chance to get there. Because I do think Michigan has the resources. They have the, the tr- prestige. I And somebody said this in the chat yesterday. I would argue from a pure brand standpoint, not program. There's a difference between your program. Bama has a better program than Notre Dame. They do not have a bigger brand than Notre Dame. No, no. matter what Bama people want to say, 
Notre Dame is still the biggest brand in college sports. Yeah. Right. And we can agree on that. I think I would argue that that Michigan has the biggest brand in the big 10. They don't have the best program, but I still believe they're the biggest brand. Michigan can still go everywhere in the country. And you're like, okay, that's a, that's Michigan. And not to the degree that Notre Dame does, but they're they're the next closest thing in the Midwest to Notre Dame in that regard. That's why I sit there and say that Michigan, if they hire the right guy to replace Harbaugh, can get back on track. I just don't see that happening anytime soon because I don't think Harbaugh is going to go anywhere. I don't think any NFL teams are going to hire him, and I don't think Michigan has the stones to fire him, not after going to the playoff this past year. That's because Michigan, as well as Notre Dame, has a pretty darn good on-the-field and off-the-field package. Right. To offer young men. They they flat out do. So that, that, that works with the young men. That works with the families. Right. And parents look at the You need the right guy to sell it. You need the right guy to sell it. Absolutely. And I I also think that the thing that's hurt Michigan too is their leadership from an an institution standpoint Mm -hmm. has been pretty piss poor for several years. Yes. And and they kind of lucked into the Juwan Howard thing, in my opinion, with just the timing of it, in my opinion. But you look over the years, Michigan's made a lot of bad hires over the last 20 years. Going back to basketball, replacing Steve – you know, replacing Steve uh, Fisher with uh, Brian. What was the guy? Brian. What was the guy's name that replaced Steve Fisher? It was Brian something. I can't remember the heck of his name. Um, but and then they hired Tommy Amaker. You know, because they were trying to co- become the Harvard of the Big Ten. Yeah. And Brian uh, Ellerby. Brian Ellerby. That's Ellerby. who replaced okay. Steve yeah. Fisher. And then you know he got him in trouble, and then they brought in Tommy Amaker, and he made him a, a, a respectable program, but they weren't as serious. I mean, they they just they they were. They were a he's like a, a Harvard. Fit. Yeah, he's a bad right. Fit. He's yeah. he he. Tommy Amaker is at the best school that Tommy Amaker can be at in ever. I mean, the, the perfect place for him and what he wants to accomplish as a basketball is Harvard. It's Harvard. You know, and and that's why he's had the success he's had there. You know, and then then you go out and you hire, you, you make a great hire in John Beeline, right? And that worked out well. And and then you know you kind of luck into when he leaves, you kind of luck into the Jawan Howard situation. Right, because you have a former player who's in the NBA and all that other kind of stuff, and then football, you know, Lloyd Carr leaves and they replace him with Rich Rodriguez, which is one of the worst fits I have ever seen in coaching. And then you replace him with Brady Hoke. So there have been a lot of bad hires at Michigan, and they're they're two prominent sports. And so to me, I just I don't feel like the lead. I mean, your president just gets let go because of some shadiness, and he was a guy that tried to. I mean, he was the prime. He was the primary culprit in trying to, to to sabotage the 2020, 2020 season for the Big Ten. Right. Their president was the main driver main of culprit. cancel football. Yes. And, and you know, and then he hates Harbaugh because Harbaugh and his team stood up to that, which props to them, you know, uh, the, the leadership that those kids showed that year. So, you know, to me, and I'm not a Ward Manuel fan, to be honest with you. I, I don't think he's a strong AD. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think they have the infrastructure in place from a leadership standpoint, but if that changes, Michigan has a chance to quickly jump up, whether we like it or not. I mean, yeah. that's just the reality of it. Right. I, I agree with that. And I think the run they went on post bowl mm-hmm. with Carr and Mallory mm-hmm. and Carr is like, okay. Yeah. His disciples. Yeah. Right. The structure was there. The support. Moeller did a good job. If he, and he would have, yeah, Moeller did yeah. a nice job. If not for the drinking, he's, he right. would have been there longer. Been there. Like you said, Lloyd, Lloyd had them good, won a tie, yeah. half a title. 
right? Yeah. You know, half a half title. Let's be honest, half, half a title. Because <laughs> um, Nebraska won the other half. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but yeah, that, that's a, that's it. And, and I don't see any teams in the West are capable of being a dynasty team. I don't. Yeah. Now, they're really good programs. I mean, Nebraska could be really good. Minnesota could could be a quality team. Iowa, you Wisconsin, know, if, but no if dynasty. Wisconsin, if Wisconsin ever got a star quarterback, Wisconsin, Wisconsin would dominate the West. Well, in its current form, yes. yes. Jim Leonard can coach the yeah. hell out of defense. And I think I think defense. Nebraska as a program, forget yeah. the specifics of who's there now, yeah, can be a very good football team. Yeah, they're not there now, but no. it, they, in theory, they could be that. Yeah, right. And and so, but right now, yes, if they go out and land a top quarterback, Wisconsin could be really good. And yeah. and I still. We talk about this. I still think Malik Zaire should have gone in 2016, should have gone to Wisconsin, not not Florida. Yeah. But that's another conversation for another day. So Big Ten, we talked about Big 12, uh, no. And, and the reason that I purposely left Texas and Oklahoma out of this conversation because they're going to be in the SEC soon. Yeah. And I don't think either one of those teams are capable of becoming dynasties in the SEC. Texas would be the only one that maybe can, in yeah. my opinion. But with, with Oklahoma's will not be a dynasty program. They they can't be in the SEC what they were under Bud Wilkinson and Barry Switzer and Bob Stoops in the Big Eight, the Big Twelve, and and such. I don't think they can. I, I just I don't. I don't know if you you want to speak on that, no, Sean. Or, I just yeah. yeah Texas is the only well, one that has a chance, in my yeah. opinion. And there, I mean, hey, the conference is about to go through so much of a transition. Yeah. In a couple of years, with Texas going to the SEC along with Oklahoma, yeah, we can just go out west. Yeah, like we just bypass Big yeah. Twelve and go there's, to the Pac-12. There's two teams in the Pac-12 that I think have a chance to become those programs, and an mm-hmm. only one I feel great about. I think yeah. Oregon has a chance to be a really good team that it can, mm-hmm. can occasionally, with the right quarterback, make a title run, yeah. like we saw in the yeah. ten to fourteen where they made the. They made the title yeah. game in 2010, which I thought was a down year in college football. They took advantage of that. Yeah. And the Pac-12 stunk a little bit. And yeah. then 14, they were a really good football team. They just – they went up – I mean, Ohio State was red hot at that. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State was on fire. I mean, they beat Wisconsin – they beat a top 15 Wisconsin team, 59 to nothing. They yeah. physically spanked Alabama in the second half of that game, like just physically beat Alabama up, you yeah. know. And, uh, you know, and just – Oregon didn't have a chance. But that was a really yeah. good Oregon football team. Yeah. I just I think Oregon's got a chance to be a really good team. I don't know if Oregon team that I believe can be a great, consistently great team, especially if the Pac-12 is good. That's mm-hmm. what we don't talk about enough. The Pac-12, when they, Oregon had their run of five years, had two good teams in it. That's yeah. it. Oregon and Stanford. That's it. USC wasn't good. They had a no. year here, a year there. They weren't a dominant program. Oregon wasn't doing all that stuff when Pete Carroll was there. No, but they were a good team, right? Oregon had some good teams under Mike Bellotti during that stretch. Right. I mean, the Joey Harrington years. I still think what was it? What was the year? Was it like 07? They had a quarterback, Sean, and I and and I'm, I'm for the life of me cannot remember his name. And and I thought that team. There was a man. What was his name? I'm going to look up this kid's name because this is going to bother me. They had a quarterback that was Dennis Dixon. Wasn't they had a yeah, team of Dennis team Dixon? Yeah. That was they the 07 team. Right? The 07 team. 
No, yeah. no, that was Darren Thomas. Darren Thomas, Darren Thomas 2010. Yes, yes, the 07 yeah. Oregon team, I felt if De- if Dennis Dixon doesn't get hurt, I think they'd have had a shot to play for the title and win it because I think they'd have got in over LSU because they were rolling along that year until Dennis Dixon got hurt. And and that that hurt them. Like they lost to they lost to Cal early and then they were at one point in time they were like 8 and 1. Yeah. They had climbed up to to let me let me see where they were. They were they were ranked really high, and they were rolling, man, in 07. And if you he remember that year that LSU won a title with two losses. Bilotti, they, had climbed, they had climbed up to number two, Sean. They Who climbed up all the way to number two. When did he get hurt? Was it towards the end of the season? It was late in the year. Yeah. He, they, they played Arizona State. They won back-to-back top 10 games. They beat number nine USC. And then they beat number six Arizona State in 07. Mm-hmm. They went out and played at Arizona, who was not good that year, and got and when Dennis Dixon got hurt, they just fell apart. They lost to Arizona on the road, they lost to UCLA, UCLA on the road, and then they lost to uh they lost to a Mike Stoops five and seven Arizona team. They lost to a six and seven UCLA Carl Durrell team. Yeah. And they that was actually a, a decent Oregon State team. They lost nine to four, but they lost at home. Yeah. And and I mean that team was Good. Remember that was a team that beat Michigan thirty nine to seven. Yeah. Remember because that yeah. that sat sadly they contributed to Notre Dame getting destroyed by Michigan the next week because yeah. Michigan had just lost to App State and they were reeling and 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 Oregon destroyed them that next week thirty nine to seven beat a decent Art Browse Houston team early in the year forty seven to twenty seven. And, and, you know, like I said, they, they, that was, that team was good. But again, when you lose a quarterback and go from title contender to losing to Arizona, UCLA and Oregon state, it says a lot about your program that you don't have that same depth of talent. Yeah. And the point is, is I think that's who Oregon is more so than a truly dominant team that can go through Eve every year and say, we will play anybody anywhere. And we think we can beat you. I just don't know if they can ever get to that. It's too far away. The West Coast doesn't produce the same type of talent it used to, and a lot of those kids don't want to stay on the West Coast anymore for a million different reasons. And I just think it's harder for teams out West to consistently build it. And if, and I'll say the same thing, USC. USC is the other dynasty contender out West. But if NI, if they make changes to the transfer portal, it's going to make it a lot harder for USC to stay a contender. I, look, yeah. can you name a single California offensive lineman that is recruitable for Notre Dame? There isn't one. Not in no. 2023. Not 2023. And that's the whole point. They're still producing quarterbacks and skill players, but they're just not – you used to basically almost be able to build your roster with California kids, and that's not right. true anymore. No. It's not true anymore. And so – I just think the West it's harder for a West Coast team to win for a lot more reasons than kickoff times of on ESPN. Yeah. There's a lot more fundamental problems that until those change it's going to be harder. But I'll say this, that's why I think USC is the only team in the West Coast that has a chance to become a dynasty because USC is the one team in my opinion that can consistently recruit anywhere if they have the right coach. Oregon Agreed. can to a degree. Oregon can steal a kid from Florida. You know, they've been able to do that. But to consistent, like USC can consistently recruit Ohio kids, Jersey kids, Florida yeah. kids, if they're rolling. 
if they're good. And that's the key. That's you know key. what, though? Oregon is like every recruit tells every other recruit, yo, you have to at least take an official visit right. to Oregon. Oregon's going to be a great visit. Like it's rarely someone goes to Oregon and does not have a really good time. Right. But most of them don't still pick Oregon. Right. They don't, they won't. Right. But go take the visit. Like you're definitely going to enjoy yourself. So, right. And for me, the, the foundation under Bilotti was go grab California kids. Right. The kids that UCLA used to get because UCLA was down. Let's go get the kids UCLA used to get. All right, that don't go, that can't get in onto USC squad. Let's get those kids, and then let's go get the JC kids, and let's fill two of the top hundred players. And now we've got a team. That was like how they kept recreating the roster mm-hmm. and speed. Like they were at the forefront of the change, especially offensively and defensively, with going away from thumpers and linebackers and getting faster up front, getting faster on, you know, and being innovative in their offense. So that's really how they built that program on being innovative, speed, and being attractive. You know, branding. They were one of the first schools to brand with the uniforms and mm-hmm. appeal to recruits. So I don't think they can ever be a dynasty, but I think they can be a thorn in the side yes. of USC. And yes. Oregon always, Brian, it's amazing. They can have these great teams, and they will lose the weirdest game. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be getting ready for a top-10 matchup against USC in two weeks, and they'll lose to, like, Oregon State in overtime. Well, look who, look who their one loss was to early this year before they fell apart. Stanford. Stanford. A bad standard. And I mean, there were certain there was there was reasons. I mean, their yeah. offensive coordinator, but the reality is, is that was still a bad like you just said it. That was a bad Stanford team. Bad Stanford you team. shouldn't lose your OC and still lose to a bad Stanford team if you're a healthy no. program. I just no. it, yeah, it, it it I just I think there's a cap there. Yeah. There's I a agree. cap there, in my opinion, that, that doesn't exist uh, at USC as much, right? But it's still harder for USC to be a dynasty now. Than it was twenty years ago. Would you just because the West Coast just doesn't produce the same type of kids it used to? We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Just knowing the history, if the right guy was at Washington, would you trust Washington more than Oregon to have a better run? No. Okay. No, and the reason I say that is, is because I still I think Oregon, like that you just mentioned, yeah, Oregon can go to the southeast and steal the athletes that they're currently missing from the northwest. Yeah, and if USC is USC, some of the athletes they're getting from the west coast they're not getting. Mm-hmm. If USC is USC, they don't get Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. USC gets them right. right. It, it, now, so but but Oregon can go to the southeast and get a steal a kid from Georgia now with NIL, maybe, maybe buy some kids or whatever. I mean, but they've got, like you said, every kid's other. they may Richard Young took an unofficial visit to Oregon. He's going to take right. an official visit to Oregon. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Washington's not getting Richard Young on campus. I don't no. care how good they are. No. I think Washington is a better football state than Oregon, which is what, where Washington can be effective. 
Right. I think Washington, if with the right coach, we saw this with Chris Peterson, mm-hmm. Washington be- can become arguably the most steady program in the Pac-12. Like just every year they're a good team and occasionally they'll have a 2016 playoff run, but they're not going to win the title. Yeah. Yeah. But what what I the difference for me, Sean, is I think their ceiling isn't as high as Oregon's. That's okay. the thing. I don't think they have a team that could occasionally maybe even actually compete for a title if they get the right quarterback. Yeah. You know, I just don't think they're that. I think Oregon can maybe be that. And that's the thing that keeps me from saying the dynasty part. I don't think yeah. they can get over the hump. Yeah. That that's that's my thing. But yeah. if they hire the right coach, and and I think I like the Kalen DeBoer hire. I, I do. I don't know if he's gonna be able to recruit, but I think he's a good football coach. Yeah, is, I, I think they can because Washington will produce some big time players. Yeah, they get they put players in the NFL all the yeah. time. Again, all not a time. high volume, right? But I mean, they've had four or five five star kids in the last four or five years that that yes. and they've all gone somewhere else for the most part. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And and so yeah, look at Notre Dame. I mean, Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Lamar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. those are kids that if Washington can keep can start keeping those kids in state, then then yeah. they can start being a consistently nine, ten, one caliber team. I just don't think mm-hmm. there's enough out there for them to 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 be and Seattle's not what it used to be either. Right. I mean, there's no, a lot going on that. in Seattle that makes it not as an attractive a place that you want to send yeah. your child. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we'll get yeah. Too much into that, but you get what I'm saying. It, it wasn't like it was 20 years ago when Seattle was a happening place. I think when Chris Peterson got there, he had opportunities. He just yeah. lost the big games. Yeah. If they had a quarterback against Alabama, they played Alabama yeah. tough in that yeah. semifinal game. Yeah, and they had speed on the outside. I mean, Dante Pettis yeah, and on the outside Ross. just didn't have a quarterback. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they had the line either in that particular yeah. game. Like they could, That's they true. could somewhat. Yeah, and. and so it's interesting, Sean. I think Washington could could be a consistently really good team. Mm-hmm. I just have doubts that they can kind of get over that hump and become a title contender. There's two yeah. teams I want to talk about, Sean, and we've wrapped this up because we're going we're way longer than what I thought we're going to be. And I did want to answer a couple questions here before we got out of here. But uh, the one question I have for you is: Can my can Miami get back to being mm-hmm. the you? Can they? Not will they? But can they? I think that's the first question that needs to be addressed. I think they found the right guy. Okay. So I, in, I in theoretically, you do think Miami still has a chance to be that program? Okay. I do. I do. I think they found the right guy. And I think they found a guy that was out on the West Coast and had to recruit a totally different region than Miami was used to, which is as long as we control the state of Florida, we're good, right? And that mindset doesn't work anymore. You have to be mm-hmm. able to recruit nationally right. if you're Miami. And I think to a ability, degree, to a degree, to a degree, you know, but you have to be able to go into the state of Texas. I mean, right. when Miami was like at their peak, they were going to get, you know, top players out of the state right. of California to come down to Miami. You know, they were getting kids from modern day to come to Miami right. and play, like a DJ Williams. So, well, De La Salle. Yeah, De La, De La Salle. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which like was the modern day of that time. Right. So right. you get those kids to come. That you, they were getting DNs from Texas. Yeah. 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 So I think him going to Oregon kind of opened up certain avenues from a recruiting standpoint mm-hmm. and gave him a different mindset that when he came back to Miami, he brought a different plan. 
And he fully had, because he played, he has the full support of the alumni, alumni base. The same thing that's going on with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame former players is the same thing that's going on with Miami players, players that had not come back in a long time because of the administration, mm-hmm. because of things that were going on with the administration. And I think the administration has kind of been put in between a rock and a hard place where they've kind of been forced to say, you know what, we have to support this football right. program much more. That's the question mark for me. Yeah, but this is the question, and I yeah. asked this question to a couple of guys that I know that are alumni from Miami. You guys are no longer the biggest show in town. Like Miami football was always right. the big ticket right. in South Florida. Now you have the Heat. The, yeah, you have the Dolphins who are getting better. Now, how do you bring that same attention? Right. The Heat. To the you have the Heat now. Are very yeah. popular. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be a challenge. But and then being in the ACC, yeah, they can go on a run in the ACC. Right. They they could. Here's why I think my if Miami has the right leadership, and again, it's not it's not about football. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're this happened to Lou Holtz in the in the nineties. Absolutely. If your administration does not support you, you can you have a cap on how good you can be. And and that's what hurt Lou Holtz. He had to fight against a program that that or he had to fight against an administration that didn't like the fact he wanted to build an elite program. Like that's just that's the reality of it. And Miami's dealt with that. I mean, go watch the U thing with that that clown president that they had back then. And and you know, and, and that Tad, right? Like, first of all, your name's Tad. Like, don't get me started on that, right? But Sean, the, the thing about Miami is 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 Miami is in a completely different universe than, than USC because right now for the last decade, people have been fleeing the state of California. Absolutely. Right now, Florida's in a situation where growth like, is uh, ridiculous. Insane. And people are walking yeah. to the state of Florida. Yes. I mean, so it's a completely different universe yeah. than what USC is going through and what the West coast is going through just from a population shift. Yeah, you know, and, and so that that helps keep that ability to go recruit. You can still predominantly recruit the state of Florida. Now, what I'll say this: it's harder to dominate the state of Miami. Now, I'm using that phrase purposely, purposely because that's yeah. what Howard Schnellenberger basically oh, yeah. that was his philosophy. We're going to dominate the state of Miami, which they basically called like so was it like Orlando on down was the state mm-hmm. of Miami. I mean, we're going to dominate this region, and we're going to get every kid we want to get from there, basically. Yeah. And for the most part, they did. I mean, you know, Notre Dame came and stole Derek Brown, but they didn't lose many of them, right? Right. But when you, when you look at it, that 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 talent is still there. That's the difference for Penn State. Penn State can't dominate the Northeast basically only and put together the same kind of teams they could in the 80s. Yeah. They have to leave the region. Notre mm-hmm. Dame has to leave the region. Ohio State has to leave. The, Miami doesn't have to for much. Yeah. They can selectively go out to California and Texas and get a DJ Williams as opposed to needing seven or eight players from those regions. Right. They can recruit Louisiana up to the Carolinas and down and basically fill 95% of their roster. Yeah. And so if the administration will support them, I think Miami can get there, but I'm, I'm not as sold on it now as I was in the eighties and nineties, because there's still some things working against them. 
you got to drive over an, about an hour to go to a home football game from yep. campus. It's still yep. a small campus. It's still a private school. It's still an academic-oriented school, which sometimes can mean maybe your fan base isn't as rabid as the kids that go to school at Ohio State. It's yeah. definitely not as numerous as this, those other schools. Yeah. It's easier for other schools to come into the state of Florida and get kids than it was, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. And so, but I still believe if Miami wins, they will recruit. Yeah. And if they hire the right guy, and that's where I think the final piece for Miami is Miami is not a team where just anybody can be good. Miami's a team that they need to hire the right guy. And to your point, I do think Mario Cristobal has a chance to be that guy. Manny yeah, Diaz right, right. was a bad hire. Yeah. Said it yeah. at the time, it was a bad hire. Mario Cristobal is a good hire. I agree. Me. I agree. He's a good hire. Do you have to leave, Sean? No, man. My okay. leg went to sleep. So okay. I, <laughs> okay. We've been talking for almost three okay. hours. I know. My legs were like, hey, stand up. So I'm just getting the blood flowing. Let's wrap up with Notre Dame. Okay. Because this is the one I think people care more about now. Right, right. Can Notre Dame be a dynasty like they were even, even not even just the 70s? in the 40s and the 20s and 30s, but can they be a dynasty in the way that they were in the Lou Holtz era? Because I believe, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, I believe that if if the college football playoff existed in the 80s and 90s, -hmm. Notre Dame has at least one more title. I comfortably say one more title. Because I think a case could be made, and you and I discussed this, a case could be made that maybe they don't win it in 1988. Because they'd have had to play Miami in a rematch, and it would have been tough to beat that Miami team twice. Right. But my counter argument is, but then the same thing would have happened in '89 in the reverse. Right, they would have beat Miami in a rematch in right. the playoff. Right, so '88, '89, you win one of them. Because yeah. I'll still contend '88 might have been the best team that Notre Dame had. '89 was the most talented team that Notre Dame had. Mm-hmm. And I think that they probably would have won that. They would have won a title in '93. I think they would have beat that Florida State team again. Like. The the difference between eighty nine and ninety in, in ninety the eight the difference between Notre Dame versus Florida State in, in ninety three was greater than the difference between Notre Dame and Miami in eighty eight and eighty nine. Those were right. two pretty even teams. I think yeah. Notre Dame was significantly better than Florida State. I think the only way Florida State could have beat Notre Dame is in Tallahassee, and a That's playoff it. game wouldn't have been in Tallahassee. No, they would have dominated because the difference is is Notre Dame Miami had great lines, especially D line. And so uh, Florida State didn't. Florida State was all about speed. I mean, they had some great linemen, Walter yeah. Jones. They had some individual great players. They never had great lines on offense. They, and then they would have some great defensive ends, but you could push them around. They were built on speed. Notre Dame could push them around. Yeah. So I think Notre Dame wins two titles. M- maybe a third. I mean, you could get into that. But, I, I mean, that that's that's pushing it. I think they certainly win two titles, but they they have some very, very, very good football teams, in my opinion, Sean. And, you know, so can Notre Dame be that again? Where when you go 10-1-1 or in this instance 10-2 and two in, yeah. in a season with, with the players that Notre Dame had in like 1990, you know, for 92, for example, that's considered a disappointment, but you still finish fourth, right? Yeah. But like, right. I'll say this, like that 94 team, you know, maybe they make the playoff. If there's a playoff, I mean, they finished fourth, fifth in the AP poll, but the AP wouldn't have been the ones doing the ranking. Right. You know, so those are the things I think about, Sean, is, is, you know, 
can Notre Dame be that again? Can they be that team again? Yeah. And if so, what needs to happen to do it? That's the question. So number one, I think you and I both have the same answer. The answer is yes. They can be it. They can be that team again. Yep. But what needs to happen to do it? I think the first step was already taken. You need a dynamic. Lou Holtz was a dynamic head coach. Dynamic. Era Parsegian was a dynamic head coach. Yep. Frank Leahy. I mean, Newt Rockney. The only coach to me that won a title and wasn't a dynamic head coach was Dan Devine, from what I'm told. But he still was a really good football coach who had success mm-hmm. at other programs. You need the right head coach. I think they got it. You know, at least from a recruiting and a dynamic personality standpoint. Whether or not he can coach at that level, we'll find out, right? We'll find that out. But I do believe Notre Dame can be that program, but you have to hire someone who knows how to go on the road and recruit and can be and can be dynamic and really sell because Notre Dame in nineteen in 2022 is not Notre Dame of 1990. There's a lot of the, the game has changed, college football's changed, demographics have changed. You're yeah. not getting Rocket Ismail and Ricky Waters out of Pennsylvania anymore, which makes it harder. You've got to now go down to Florida, California, yeah. Texas, and find that kid more often yeah. than not. Yeah. And so you need an even more dynamic head coach now as a recruiter, even then, than you needed even then. And so people talk about Chad Bowden's the new Vinny Serrato, and I agree, but that doesn't work if you don't also have Marcus Freeman as your head football coach. Absolutely. As great as Chad has done, it works because it's the combination of Chad and Coach Freeman. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. In my opinion, that's the key. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think the next thing, everything you said, I totally agree. And this goes back. I I hate to go back to this same thing. (laughs) The quarterback position is going to be key. Yeah. Moving forward. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very key, especially we're talking about sustained excellence and trying to measure up to what Lou Holtz was able to do. The game was different. The game was different. And we talked about this. You know, if you really take a look, 93 and 94, Lou Holtz was opening up the offense and recruiting totally different offensively, you know, and the plan he had for Jarius Jackson. You know, you're, trying you're, you're to get trying to get like, me. You're trying to get me fired up today, man. You're going to bring Randy man. Moss and bring it. He wasn't bringing in Randy Moss to hand the ball off fifty times, right? Brian. Exactly. You know what I mean? You start oh, yes. seeing the the the, the, uh, the screens, middle screens to the tight ends, and the screens to the wide receivers on the outside. He saw the change coming in college football, and he was starting to adjust to it. 
and Notre Dame would have kept things going if not for the issues with administration and some other things in his health. Marcus Freeman, from a health standpoint, I think he's going to be good. From a coaching standpoint, he's going to get better. Right. Game day coaching, he's going to get better. Right. Will he have some bumps in the road? I, I would venture to say, yeah. Probably. He'll have some bumps in the road, probably. But he's if he doesn't, then this thing's going to get really crazy soon. Absolutely. Right. And on top of that, I pointed this out. Once it happens, I think we'll see the dominoes. But the quarterback position, the acquisition, not the acquisition because the kid is choosing to come to your school, but getting elite talent to choose Notre Dame, developing them, getting that first first round pick, all of that are things that you need to see to be able to sustain excellence and come close to anything that Alabama has done in the modern era. That's a very, very important position. Heck, the talent has already been raised at every other position in recruiting, right? in my opinion. So we expect that. But that quarterback position, as far as it's so key, it's so key. It's It's Tyler Buckner's got to be what we think he is, and they got to get Dante Moore. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And Sean, because I think here's here's an advantage that Notre Dame has that Notre Dame has some disadvantages from the NIL thing. I mean, we're going to be honest about that, right? I mean, some kids are just going to want to be bought. I've always said you're not going to lose many of those kids, though. You're going to lose a Cardinal Tate, but some of those kids that are taking NIL deals. Like Nico, Nico was never going to be, what's that? Certain positions more than certain positions, but more so certain players. Yeah. And they're so, I mean, uh, Braylon James is, uh, I don't even get into that, but anyway, there's going to be Braylon James and Jane Greathouses. You know, those guys are going to NIL deals, but they are kids who understand like, but there's, you know, I, okay. I take six figures now and, or a million dollars now. And to go to a school that hasn't had a wide receiver, like if you're a receiver looking at A&M, you're thinking, hold on a second, I'm going to take $2 million now to go to a school that hasn't had a receiver get drafted in like a decade since Mike Evans, right? Or I'm going to go to Notre Dame where they're pumping out first, second round picks at receiver constantly. And I'm, those guys are making a whole lot more than $2 million, right? That's a, that's a two, that's more than $2 million difference. Yeah. And I got $2 million to play college football, but then I don't get drafted. Whereas I go to Notre Dame and maybe I make 500,000 on NAIL stuff but I'm going to get drafted in the first or second round and make, you know, eight figures. These kids are make, I've had these conversations where this is being brought up to me. This isn't me convincing them of that's not my job. I don't bring those things up. This is what they're saying to us. They get it. These kids, some of these kids, a lot of these kids are smarter than we give them credit for. They think like, Oh, of course the kid's going to get offered a million dollars to take it. Don't project your thing onto them. Because if this, because you don't understand for a five-star kid, if he's smart and has good structured home, yeah, he's going to understand that this million dollars is an immediate short-term thing, but my value is far greater than that if I go yeah. to the right place. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the conversation. But the, 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 the point being, Sean, with Notre Dame is the advantage Notre Dame has in this era of the transfer portal is Notre Dame will not lose kids the way that other schools are going to lose kids. Because you you and I know this, there were players at Notre Dame that could have easily left and transferred because Mm -hmm. they disliked the current coach and their assistant, and they were miserable in football, but they wanted that degree. 
Absolutely. That's why they picked Notre Dame. Absolutely. So they're going to stay for the three years, get their degree, and then leave. Well, yeah. if that kid is doing that now, but then his circumstances change, yeah. he may stay. Yeah. And we've seen that too, where yeah. kids thought they were going to leave after three years. Their circumstances changed. Yeah. Mr. Griffith, kid entered the portal. He was going to leave. Marcus Freeman gets hired. He comes back. Now he's coming back for a fifth year, <laughs> knowing he's not guaranteed of anything. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Because yeah. he wants to be a part of that culture. But you're not going to see freshmen and sophomores transferring a ton from Notre Dame. No. Just it's and it's it has nothing to do with the head coach. Yeah. That's not even a Marcus Freeman thing. Oh. Because that was happening under Brian Kelly because of the Notre Dame degree still carries a lot of weight. Oh, well. And so that's an advantage. But but here's the interesting thing. You brought I'm up like, Can I ask you a question right quick? Sure. You guys did a show, if I'm not mistaken, in January, where you kind of, guys kind of predicted, like, how many transfers you would see mm-hmm. off right. the roster. Didn't come anywhere close, did it? None of them. Yeah. The only guys that have transferred, the guys that weren't brought back, fifth-year guys that, like Sebo Flemister, who weren't done a spot back, like, yeah. they're over the scholarship limit because nobody left. And, and, and that's one. Why is that? Because they want to play Freeman. for right. Marcus Freeman, right? Yeah. Now that eventually is going to wear off. Exactly. With, right. I mean, just because kids are going to understand, hey, um, I, you know, I, I want to play. I mean, there's going to be some kids who are buried on the depth chart that you know, yeah. and hey, coach, do I have a future here? Nah, buddy. You know, like you know, th- there's going to be some of that, mm-hmm. but it's just not going to happen a ton. So that that is the thing that helps them, but. You know, you brought up the 95 team because here's what I think a lot of people forget. Lou Holtz was getting ready to go through a second wave of success. This is what a lot of people forget about Notre Dame. Yes. The Randy Moss, James Jackson thing, which basically was the the, the administration not supporting the football team, not having the kids back. You know, like they were looking for a reason to drop Randy Moss. Like they, Mm -hmm. they didn't let the thing be seen through. Like, you know, same thing with James Jackson. That kid was committed and, you know, signed and all that. But, this is that fresh. This is what that freshman class was gonna be. That I think a lot of people don't realize how good that '95 freshman class was going to be. You had Jerry's Jackson at quarterback, Archie Denson at running back. Mm. You had Randy Moss and Bobby Brown at receiver. That class also had Lamont Bryant. That class also. I said Archie Denson already. Jimmy Friday. Was in that class, Benny Gilbo, James Jackson, who went on to be a thousand-yard rusher and NFL draft pick and, and NFL running back with the Browns. Jarius Jackson uh, was was part of that recruiting class. You had some other big-time names. Uh, Mike Rosenthal was first-round draft pick, was part of that class, that freshman class. Corey Miner was part yeah. of that freshman class. And, of course, Tim Ritter was part of that freshman class. Notre Dame had a great freshman class that year. Hunter Smith. Was an NFL longtime NFL punter. Was part of that class. Jamie Spencer was a big yeah. time recruit coming out in that class. Uh, Joe Thomas was part of that class. John Wagner, Jerry Jerry Wisney was part of that class. Like that was going to be a phenomenal class. But the the king the the, the linchpin of that was Randy Moss yeah. and James Jackson. The one two punch of James Jackson and, and Autry Denson would have been with Randy Moss, Bobby Brown, Malcolm Johnson, Derek Mays on the outside was going to be nasty. Nasty. And then you still had you still had another year of Ron. Yeah, still had a, you had what two more years left of Ron Paulus. 
which I think would have would have made his career better. And then you would have mm-hmm. had Jerry's emerging fill in for Ron when those guys were veterans. Right. Notre Dame was about to go through a second wave under Lou. And now maybe Lou still has to retire in 96 because of it, because of the injuries, right? The neck issue and all that. But if Notre Dame supported the football program, they wouldn't have hired Bob Davey to replace Lou. Yeah. They hired somebody better. Somebody better. Yeah. And and yeah. and that's my thing. So I mean, Corey Miner was a five-star recruit. Randy Moss was a five-star recruit. Jerry getting Jerry Jackson out of Mississippi was a big time haul. Mike Rosenthal was, you know, ended up being a first round draft pick. That was Jimmy Friday was a big time recruit. Like that Lamont Bryant was a really good recruit. That was a foot was going to be in that's a top five recruiting class, if not a number yeah. one recruiting class. I mean, that is a big time recruiting class. It's just the administration of this sport football. Well, that's not an issue right now for Notre Dame. Nah. <laughs> and hasn't been for a decade. And one of the yeah. questions we had was about the facilities and the is that facilities are not a I have it's been three, four years since any kid has ever mentioned facilities to me in a negative. It's probably been longer than that. Notre Dame's facilities are good. They are very good now. And yes, the Goog needs updated. So what? That's I mean. That's not the thing that's holding people back. The only person that views the Goog as a as a as a, a hold hold up to the program is Brian Kelly. That's it, and that's what I'm gonna say. It yeah. hasn't been a hold up for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and that staff, right? No. And and so yeah, I think Notre Dame can be that program. I don't know if Marcus Freeman is the guy to get him there. We just need to see him coach it. I believe he yeah. is. Yeah. I believe he is, but we need to see it. But the recruiting piece is already there. We're already seeing that. You know, in an era of NIL, Notre Dame is – I literally had a parent tell me that my kid has been offered and, and the number was just kind of staggering. And he's like, but we told him, y'all don't understand. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us because yeah. of what my child – my child's going to have to make that kind of money in his life if he even doesn't make it to the NFL because he's got yeah. a degree from Notre Dame. I mean, that that's what people don't understand. Right. Right. Brandon Wimbush is never going to play it down in the NFL. Brandon no. Wimbush is going to make money because of that Notre Dame degree, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. So anyway, um, Sean, got a couple questions I did want to get to uh, cool. here. We're not going to get through all of them because the show is way long. We did have some super chats and some other things I did want to get to. Brandon Plesner says, um, thank you for the super chat, Brandon. He says, very curious what this new staff has planned for the recruits during the OVs. Has Marcus Freeman invested in a lake house yet? After seeing BK's recruiting antics at LSU, I'd be scared to attend a BK Lake House visit. That is some fire right right there from Brandon. So (laughs) there's some some, some harsh criticism thrown in there. uh, Marcus Freeman does not have a lake house. Uh, He has a really nice pool, but not a lake house. Uh, It's really, I mean, they're going to roll out the red carpet. There's no no question about it. I mean, they're going to roll out the red carpet. Uh, it's just, it's, but that's that, I mean, that's cool and everything, but it's, it's going to be about what happens when you sit down in those meetings, what happens when you get on the board and Al Golden has to explain to Jaden Osbury, how he fits into this Notre Dame defense. That's what's going to truly matter. Jaden Osbury is going to be impressed by the red carpet that's rolled out, the photo yeah. shoot and all that, yeah. the, the gold throne, but you know, what's going to make Jaden Osbury. This is one of the reasons I love that kid. He's going to want to say, what is my meeting like with the academic people that they're going to lay out what this is going to do for me academically. And I'm going to get on the board without gold. And he's going to have to explain to me why, how he's going to make me him and James Laronitis and how he's going to make me a great linebacker and a, and a high draft pick. 
look, I know yeah. the academic piece is there. That's yeah. going to matter a whole lot more. If that doesn't matter, it doesn't matter about the red. This is what you all have to understand. Notre Dame kids, at the end of the day, don't care about the gold throne. They don't care about the red carpet. They don't care about the – they are going to sit down there. There's two things that you need to explain to me. Explain to me how this degree is going to set me up for life if football doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And explain to me, get on the board, explain to me, show me the film, show me how you're going to develop me in the first-round draft pick. That's what those – that's what – that's ultimately what Charles Jagasaw and Monroe Freeling need to hear. That's what Dante Moore needs to hear. That's what Jaden Greathouse and, and Ronan Hannafin and Jaden Osbury and Micah Bell and Christian Gray and Caleb Downs and Jason Moore. That's what those kids ultimately need to hear. That's going to be what determines whether they get those kids or not. Jason Moore is talking about wanting to get to a practice because he wants to see Al Washington at work. Sitting on the gold throne in a photo shoot is going to be fun and it's cool and the kids love it. But that's not why Jason Moore is no. going to pick Notre Dame or not, right? And 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 this is a great question, Brandon, because I, you know, he he's not necessarily saying that. I'm I'm, I'm answering Brandon's question. I, I think Brandon understands this. He's a sharp guy. But like, those are the things that are going to be planned, and and the fun and all that stuff is going to be part of it. And it's it's you know it's it's going to be part of the whole atmosphere and the feel. At the end of the day, it's going to be getting on the chalkboard and explain. Okay, I guess it's a whiteboard now. Getting the film out and showing these kids. Here's why we want you, because this is what we think you can do for us, and this is what we think we can do for you, and then talking to the academic people. Those are going to be the two things that have the biggest impact, and those are the things they're going to try to that are going to be able to convince these kids to jump in the class or not. That's a that and you know, that's what's going to matter to them, Sean. And what makes it even more incredible is just how nuanced recruiting is when it comes to these prospects. Uh, for example, Charles Jagasaw, great conversation with Harry Heastan. Love practice. The most important thing to him was walking around in his time with the offensive line. Like mm-hmm. that made it the biggest impression. Like, right. yeah. and, and it was, and the interesting thing from your interview with him was it wasn't even the, the, the watching he stand with the starters. No, it was watching how he coached up the number twos. Number twos. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Like every recruit is looking for something different. And like the mm-hmm. staff has to know, what that guy needs and what he's looking for. And then you have the coach or the parents and what they're looking for. And that's where Chad Bowden comes in and where he's done an incredible job mm-hmm. of being able to tap into that and tap into the parents, build those relationships and make them feel comfortable with the program, with the school. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in Marcus Freeman and just how magnanimous he is as a coach and how he comes across and everyone falls in love with him. And then you go to the coaches and watching how they coach and then watching how the, once again, what Ryan Barnes said, the team morale is totally different. So now there's a totally different vibe right. now in recruiting that recruits come and, in. And, and ex- let's explain why that matters, Sean, because no matter how much you try to keep players away from the un- recruits away from the unhappy players, mm-hmm. they are during an official visit. Yeah. They're going to meet them. They're going to meet They're going to know. Yeah, and I I've been I, look Notre Dame has a kid that they landed out of the southeast on the current team. I don't say who it is or position. He was a highly ranked kid. He was told during his visit that most of the players don't like Brian Kelly. I was told this at the time. He didn't like Brian Kelly. He didn't. Brian Kelly never talked to the parents. He picked Notre Dame because it's Notre Dame and because of what they produce at that position, right? 
And so you were getting kids like that in spite of that culture. That's why that comment from, from Ryan Barnes, and we've had stuff on the Irish Breakdown message board where I've told people like some of the Intel features we've dropped is there's people telling us like I had something on Michael Mayer a couple weeks ago. And part of the reason he has rejected all overtures from other programs that have reached out saying, hey, you know, if you come here, we can get you, you know, seven figures and all this other kind of stuff. It's because he wants to be a part of what Notre Dame's building with Marcus Freeman. Mm-hmm. And maybe he would have, maybe some of these kids would have entertained those offers if Brian yeah. Kelly's still around. I've been told that too. We don't know that. And I don't want to, that's not the focus of what this is about. But the point is, when they get around to what Sean, you were saying is when they get around the players, because the players will be back, they report for school July, June 5th for summer school. Yeah. The Notre Dame players are going to be on campus that weekend. It's not going to be a dead campus. They're going to get time to say, why is it different? And they're going to be able to explain it to them in a way that they haven't been during unofficials during brief lunch conversations. And that to me is something that I also think is going to, is going to really be impactful when it comes to closing out on these kids down the stretch. That is going to be huge in my opinion. Two more questions. We're going to, we got to get out of here. Anthony L the super chat. Thank you very much for that. Anthony, he's church tomorrow. Uh, laughing at my comment about you having church tomorrow. Since pregame show planned, will Irish Breakdown still host uh, BYO tailgates? Um, and he says, uh, B. Kelly reminds me of Shooter McGavin. <laughs> Shooter. Uh, just so you know with the tailgates, I am not going to I'm not going to be a part of the pregame show other than a couple segments. So I'll, I'll have an early segment during the Notre Dame portion where I'll, where I'll probably still be at home because the show is going to be from 10 to 2 or 10 to noon. And then the games are not till like 2.30, 3.30. So I'll, we'll still be having tailgates. But I'll have yeah. my segment early, and then I still plan on being in all the tail uh, all the tailgates. Uh, obviously, Vince won't be going until after the show is over, and Sean won't be showing up till after Sean uh, Stiers. I, I didn't think this through, Sean. We have two Seans, a Ryan, and a Brian. On on our yeah on this staff now, which is just not 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 good planning in that regard. But good Sean continue. Styers, continue. what's that? Good content. What's that? Easy right. to I feel like I feel like George Foreman, where I just name all my kids George. So I just yell George, get over here, and all the kids right. come running. You know. So um, but they'll still they'll be hosting those shows. Sean and, mm-hmm. and Vince will be hosting those shows. I'll come on for like a segment, like a fifteen minute segment. Ryan will come on to do like a, but they're going to be the ones. Uh, doing that show and it won't it won't be us but it's uh we'll still be having the tailgates and there's no doubt but that's a good question because i think that that's that's a very fair question last thing i want to discuss sean from dareth Dareth says wide receiver recruiting seems to be a struggle more often than not i i feel about wide receiver recruiting the same way i felt about running back recruiting during the altry denson era and and one of the frustrating things that i talked about is people talk about how, how, how much of a struggle it was to land top backs Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it wasn't an issue for Tony Alford and it wasn't an issue for Bernie Parmalee and That's it right. wasn't really an issue for Lance Taylor and it's not an issue for Dylan McCullough. It was an issue for Archer Denson because he didn't put in the work. You know, we forget that for about a 10 year period, Notre Dame recruited a lot of highly ranked wide receivers going all the way back to the 07 when they signed Golden Tate, who was ranked as a top 25 player by ESPN. They signed Deval Kamara, who was a five star kid that year. The next year they went out and got Michael Floyd, who was a five-star. Deion Walker was a top 100 player. They got Shaq Evans the next year, who was a top 100 player. Early on in Kelly's tenure, it was not as great, but then you had Will Fuller and Corey Robinson, Torrey Hunter in 13. In 15, you had 
you had the class that was Miles Boykin. You had Equinemy St. Brown. Yep. You had C.J. Sanders and Jalen Guyton. That was a, a, a – I mean, three of those guys are in the NFL right now. The next year in 16, you had Javon McKinley, Chase Claypool, Kevin Stefferson. That was a really good receiving core. So the issues for Notre Dame were when Dell Alexander showed up. That was more of the problem, especially in recent years. But even, even during Dell's tenure, you had a class that had Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, uh, Micah Jones, who was a highly ranked kid, too highly-ish, 250-ish kid, and, and, and Lawrence Keyes, who I liked a lot. In 2020, you had Jordan Johnson, who was a five-star kid, Xavier Watts, who I liked a lot. Even in then 2021, you had Lorenzo Styles, you had Deion Colsey, you had Jane Thomas. The issue was development and keeping kids here under Dell. Yeah. Notre Dame's been able to recruit receivers. Mm-hmm. It's keeping them and developing the, that's been an issue in recent years. But there was a stretch where, you know, from, like I said, from, from the 09 draft or the 2010 draft or the 2016 draft, Notre Dame had two first round picks and Golden Tate was not one of them. He was a second round pick. Yeah. You know, TJ Jones, they turned into a, a draftable player who, you know, got the most out of him. So right. this has been more of a of a recent issue with Dell, not a receiver problem at Notre Dame, I, I would agree. And, and so I don't think receiver recruiting is going to be the struggle it was. Are they going to recruit for Julio Jones this year? No. But that's not what you need, in my opinion. You need to land really darn good football players. Yeah. And a recruiting class that has Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Ronan Hannafin as your top three. And then after that, whether it's Rico or Malik Elzey or whoever the case may be, if those guys are your fourth receivers in a class, you've got a darn good receiving core. Because Hannafin, Greathouse, and Braylon James is going to be one of the best trios in the country, in my opinion, if you're looking at it from a talent and what coaches value as opposed yeah. to what a bunch of people sitting behind a, a keyboard value. Right, and that's that's how I feel about it. I mean, I the know, only you, trio that could rival that is the trio that Ohio State is getting to land. Wants right. to land. You know, if Ohio State right. lands that trio, then tip your cap. Yeah. You know, you get Brandon Ennis, Noah Rogers, and Carnell Tate. Hey, good job. But we're cool with Ronan, Braylon, Jaden, and if we add anybody, we're cool. Like. That's a good class. I think people might be looking for that one guy, that one name guy that you can say, okay, we got this guy. But at this point, you know what? Give me, I would rather take quantity, quality quantity, over just getting that one guy up top and then kind of adding to the back end. When you add three to four guys that all can bring something to the offense at a certain level and bring something to that room, Give me that in back-to-back classes because we have lacked right. in previous recruiting classes. Build up, and right. eventually you'll start getting those top guys along with right. those other guys underneath. And then yeah. you'll see the wide receiver room and that right. whole narrative change in another year. Right. Put points on the board, yep. show that you can coach those kids up, and mm-hmm. they're going to come. Yep. There's yep. no doubt about it. There's always people trying to start stuff. Michael Peak trying to start stuff. Says, Hold on. How do you know he has a very nice pool? Talking about Marcus Freeman. Is Google. Marcus Freeman your inside contact? It's on Google Twitter, that. man. Google. It's on Twitter. He's tweeted out pictures of him, of kids and the players and other coaches at his pool. Absolutely. So that's how I know he has a nice pool. No, I've not been over in Marcus Freeman's pool. Uh, but I love the attempt. I'm always trying to find that, you know, trying to find oh, those, those little takeaways and stuff like that. But anyway, hey, Sean, great 
great show, man. Obviously, it went way longer than it uh, it did, but you know, you and I, that tends to be the case with us. So this is but it was a great show. Conversation, yes. guys. This is exactly know. what well, it is. We, we decided to start airing the phone conversations that we have about once a week. So um, it's definitely worked out. But it, hey, we can continue some of these questions and discussions on the message boards, everybody. So yeah. just make sure you sign up for that at boards.irishbreakdown.com. $49.99 for an entire year of great intel and great conversation, great news and updates. And we're going to have a ton of stuff planned here moving forward with uh, some, some members-only things that I'm excited about that we're going to launch here soon. Uh, $4.99 $4 a month. And these are not introductory offers. This is just what it is. Check out the merch store. You can get that sweet hat that Sean has. The polos like this are on there. Tons of T-shirts, gap, gap closer shows, really comfortable sweats, all types of cool stuff on the uh, merch store as well. And, of course, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you're listening via a podcast format, please give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. And, as always, thank you all so much. And thank you for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.